Welcome. You're listening to Sanseet, where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine to become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Aaron O'Dowd. Hello and welcome. My name is Aaron O'Dowd, and you're listening to Sanseet. On today's show, we have Curtis Child. He is the digital media producer of the Swedenborg Foundation. He has a weekly show called Swedenborg and Life. If you want to find out more and learn more about Curse Child or Emanuel Swedenborg, check out www.swedenborgfoundation.com and also check out on YouTube Swedenborg and Life. Welcome, Curtis, to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. How did you get into the field of holistic medicine? Tell us about how it began for you. My entry into the, the whole world of this kind of stuff is through Emanuel Swedenborg. You know, I began reading Swedenborg from a young age, and uh, that sort of led me into studying further what he had to say and um, what what how that applied to all aspects of being a person sort of your mental um health and your how that led to physical health and all these kinds of things who is a man of swedenborg can you just tell them who he is and what he is and so on sure yep absolutely that's the question i would be asking if i were you because most people haven't heard of him although he's definitely worth getting to know uh, i'm going to give you a brief overview of sort of his story but there's a lot more information out there that you can take a look at uh swedenborg was a scientist living in Sweden, uh, you know, around uh, 18th century. Uh, he began publishing the books that I have been reading about 1750s. Uh, he was a leading scientist in Europe at the time. You know, he had all kinds of advances in a lot of different fields. He was sort of a Renaissance man. It was sort of the tail end of the Renaissance. He, he was big into anatomy, but also he was part of the Swedish government. He was in charge of their mining industry there, which, you know, Sweden at the time uh, was, a, was a world power and mining was a big industry there. So it was a big position. He had all kinds of involvement, was doing a lot of publishing, all this kind of stuff. Um, in his about mid-50s, he began to have a series of what was initially vivid dreams. He began recording them. He actually has a, his journal of dreams where he was recording his dreams and sort of psychoanalyzing himself. And that wasn't a thing to do back then, but he just kind of preempted that. He would say what he felt like the dreams meant and he would write it down beside it. The dreams kept getting more and more vivid until he began what we would now call having spiritual experiences, or similar to what near-death experiences, but he's not uh, in any physical danger, and he would write these down as well, and this opened up sort of this whole spiritual phase of his life. He completely changed his trajectory. He stopped publishing scientific findings and started instead writing down all of his spiritual findings. And he actually wrote, you know, uh, depending on how it's translated, almost 30 volumes worth, a ton of material on everything that he found there and describing all, all facets of life from the nature of the afterlife, you know, what happens there to the nature of God and the nature of the human mind and where thoughts and feelings come from, all kinds of stuff was covered there. So 
in in short, uh, you know that that's the Swedenborg story. And he was he's been sort of relatively well known at different periods. A couple a hundred years ago or so, he was a little better known. But but generally, um, because he took this huge turn in his career, where before he was this well-recognized scientist, but he started saying all these spiritual things. He lost a lot of credibility. You don't hear about him as much as you probably would had he not gone down this path. So, that, so that's a, a nutshell of what Swedenborg, the phenomena, is. And how come that happened? Was it just because of the way this Renaissance end or what happened? I don't know, and I don't know if, if he knew fully. It is pretty well documented how the whole thing started because we have his journal of dreams and he, he had kept another journal of spiritual experiences which he kept that for for years and years and, and thousands of entries and that it seems that this was kind of a continuation of his life trajectory even if he didn't know that at the time and the way that the world he described he called this force divine providence that kind of guides all of life that set things up and it has these long-term goals that people don't always realize are happening and so looking back he could realize that well, all this um, scientific learning I did was actually prepping my mind for this next phase of spiritual learning. And that he was always, since he was young, interested in the pursuit of spiritual things. When he, even when he was a child, he would um, you know, have sort of little spiritual experiences and was actually doing a lot of his scientific work in pursuit of the seat of the soul. He was doing a lot of research into anatomy, and he was trying to figure out, okay, if, if human beings have a, a soul, where is it located physically? Like, what in what organ or what part of the body holds it? So he was always interested in that, and that that kind of culminated and became these, these spiritual experiences, and that he said that there was providence leading him on this greater arc because he was being prepared to deliver the messages that he delivered through his work. As for why, yeah, why him and why not someone else, or how could somebody else follow that path, I really don't know. Uh, he doesn't give a lot of detail about that kind of thing. He's much more about telling you uh, what he's found, the, the insights into how to live, than, than he is into telling you how to duplicate his journey. What fascinated you about Emanuel Swedenberg to write and video and audio about his content? Initially, I knew about Swedenborg because people I knew were reading Swedenborg. Um, you know, my parents were readers of Swedenborg. He was just around in the in the general climate. So I, I had that initial interest just because I wanted to see what are, what are people so interested in. But, you know, that doesn't explain why I stuck with it and why I'm now spending a lot of time trying to put his ideas out there and get him some uh, recognition and that the main thing that's hooked me is his description of his experiences with the spiritual world spiritual reality how they affect his mind and how he says that that world affects his mind or all of our minds and the way that i see those patterns in my own mental life and in the way that other people experience life so through his material i've been able to get techniques that help me deal with things like anxiety, worry, or fear, or something like that. Uh, and through his stuff is where I've gotten the most potent techniques, because I've tried a lot of things. You know, I had uh, was diagnosed with depression when I was 18, 19, just about 20. It was really tough to find things that were effective. And after a while, I began finding out that, hey, the material that Swedenborg has can, can really help me make progress on these things, and so that hooked me. And I want to, I want to know more about it. Where, where's everything else come from? How is this all connected? And, you know, on the side of that, it's just fascinating material. 
you know, just the, the world and the, the aspect of life that he describes is, is really interesting and kind of pulls you in to wanting to know more once you can get past kind of the academic style that, that he writes in. Can you first of all explain his techniques and second of all, why does it fascinate you to read him and discover him? Actually, he doesn't lay it out like techniques, like, hey, here's here's what you do if you're feeling like this. Here's what you do if you're feeling like that. The way that I got to those was I had to read a lot of Swedenborg and sort of get a picture of the whole worldview and from that begin pulling techniques. So that's why, you know, if somebody opens up Swedenborg, uh, they're not going to say, oh, this this is helpful for this, this is helpful for that. That's part of why I'm making the kind of material I am, because it takes a lot of work to sort of boil Swedenborg down into these little useful kind of um, techniques or, or little miniature miniature tools that you can use. The ones that have been helpful to me, um, you know, he talks a lot about... Um, he, he described the, the different states of mind that we can kind of pull from the positive and the negative state of mind. And he gives uh, descriptions of what kind of feeds the positive side and what feeds the negative side. Um, one is, you know, he has a quote, um, worry about the future greatly impairs the inflow of spiritual life. So from that, you know, that, that gives me a sort of template to say, okay, worrying about the future it seems like it's a productive activity sometimes because, okay, if I'm worrying about the future, I can lay out um, steps and take all that. But for him to say, hey, this is, um, this is actually inputting, impeding the inflow, and he would say that ideas, these kind of things that just can come into us, we can be receptors of it. And so really, rather than trying to build this intelligence that's God, that we're kind of pulling ourselves through life with, it's really about opening up to this deeper sort of wisdom that can flow into you. So things like that, and then also just recognizing um, what is against sort of the, the core principles of the core truths that he describes, and that you find in your mind, you can kind of break it down into what thoughts are against this sort of deep love and wisdom that, that he describes, and what are for it. And then through that, it helps me to navigate. What, what do I latch on to? What do I feed? Or what do I um, say? This is probably not helpful. He had this idea that, that love and wisdom, and he described love and wisdom as these two kind of primary elements of life, and that they have a connection. So if something is not loving, it's actually not wise and therefore not true, And which sounds like a, uh, a strange thing initially because there could be a lot of things that seem factually accurate that aren't true, but it's this larger kind of picture that any force that's not operating from a loving perspective is out of alignment with a greater pattern of life. So if, if it's something is coming, like take a thought, you know, like, oh, Curtis, you're not going to do a good job on this podcast that you're invited to talk on today. That, that thought is an aggressive negative thought. So to me, I can take that and say, all right, I know you're not from this, this deeper source of love and wisdom. So rather than latch on to that and say, oh, is this, is it right? What should I do? I need to practice something like that. I can instead say, all right, that's, that's not something I need to get into. So those, I mean, those are some, some of the techniques that I have. And if you go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash off the left eye, there's a little series. I just have three entries into it. It's called spiritual toolkit. And that's where I've kind of distilled some of the most effective techniques that I've found in dealing with that kind of stuff. So 
can watch those and I, I give as, as good an explanation as I can of how those work and, and what they are. But beyond that, you asked, you know, why, why am I interested in Swedenborg and, and studying? Because he goes into a lot more than that. He talks a lot about, you know, afterlife, the, the life after death, what is the, the nature of the, of the survival of consciousness. And to me, that's interesting because I know people that, that have died, you know, as we all do. And I, I want to think about, okay, are they, are they still a person? Are they still something? Uh, do they, where, where are they? What's life like for them if they are? And what's, what's the future hold for me? So there's interest there. He talks about, we just did a show last night about the sort of history of spirituality and because Swedenborg talks a lot about that, sort of where we came from. And, uh, and there's all kind of interest in between. Swedenborg describes the symbolism of things in life, like the, all objects that we see around us in the world trees, mountains, rocks, water, houses, these all have a, sort of a deeper symbolism. You see that in dreams, you know, how in dreams, dream psychologists will kind of agree that a house is a symbol for your mind. If you're in a house and you're in the attic in your house, it means something. And Swedenborg took that to a larger scale. And so he has all this symbolism for everything, which so is a fascinating thing to learn and fascinating try to apply and see what what can i can i get something interesting out of it and that's been part of the work that i'm doing on the web is is there stuff in swedenborg that can help people live you know happier more healthy connected lives so i i go in there try to read stuff try to find stuff try to grab it make it into something and then i see i put it out on the web how do people react do they say that it's helpful for them do they say that it makes sense? And if people are liking it and, and it seems like it's something valuable, that inspires me to go and get more to try to do more. Very, very fascinating. Um, when you were reading Swedenborg's content at a younger stage in your life, did you feel this was over your head or skeptic or how did that feel for you at that time? It's a great question. Um, yeah, I've definitely gone through phases. You know, there was a time, you know, around you know, when, I, when I was younger where I, I didn't, I stopped liking to read Swedenborg at all. Like I read some of it, um, but it was just, it felt like it was, there was too much in it and it was not helping me, you know, that, yeah, that I felt, and I sort of took some time where I wasn't uh, very affirmative toward it and I was looking at other stuff um, to try to find things, certainly. And there's been, there were times, there's been times when, when it just seemed like I, yeah, wasn't necessarily relevant or wasn't interesting. Um, as I've gotten older, I've come more and more into seeing value in it um and it it take and you even day to day you you have times when i can be reading some of it and it's not really resonating with me it doesn't seem that profound but there's other times when i'm like wow this is really really good and over the course of the life of me reading swedenborg there's been enough of this wow this is really profound and it's been coming more and more often that it makes me think okay now that now I have sort of an affirmative attitude toward it, that if I'm reading something that doesn't seem to line up or, or doesn't seem interesting, I know, okay, there's pr probably once I come to understand this better, it will be because that's how it's been for other things. There's certainly things that I used to read in Swedenborg that I didn't like at all. There are concepts that, that bothered me or seemed, or seemed stupid in some way, uh, that now I think those are some of the coolest things. Um, so I've, I've been on my own sort of journey and yeah, it's not like everybody has 
uh, doubts about all kinds of things. So it's not just like every time I read something in Swedenborg, I assume, oh, this has got to be true. I'm totally sure about it. We're all just people living life, coming across material, trying to figure out what, what's, what's really going on. But I've had enough positive experience with Swedenborg that it keeps me coming back and getting into it more and more. And certainly I'd say, yeah, that being a little older, I'm, I'm 30 now, so I, stuff I was talking about was in early 20s. So it certainly um, seems to be that I understand it more and more and better and better now. Let's just say we have Meister Eckhart, we have Swedenborg, we have all these amazing European mystics. And if you could pick going back and you could pick a different mystic, would you still pick Swedenborg or do you pick a different person? It would be hard for me not to want to talk to Swedenborg because there's so many things that I would love to ask him that sort of this between what he wrote. Like you say this about this, but is this this? Um, it's because I spend so much time in the material that I feel like it would be really interesting to see him as a person. And I sometimes can, you, you, there's like recorded letters that he wrote you know, to, to different people in Europe at the time. And so it's interesting to get sort of a, a look into his mind, the unpublished mind of Swedenborg, just when he's corresponding with someone, just like a normal person. So I, I really like doing that. So that would be that would be really fun. I mean, there, there's certainly there's all kinds of other spiritual leaders that it would be great to see and to see them in their element when they really were doing what they were doing. And there's there's other sort of spiritualists or people that are in Swedenborg's tradition that, that would be interesting to see as well. Leader, like powerful leaders like a Gandhi or something like that to sort of be in the presence of one of those people and see people who are leading a great movement. Swedenborg, when he was writing, um, he wasn't leading any kind of movement at the same time. You know, he didn't have followers. Uh, he was publishing. He was publishing and people were reading, but it wasn't like he would go somewhere to make a speech and there would be great crowds. So it could be kind of cool with a, with a Gandhi or somebody like that to go and see all the people interested and see the movement happening as it was. So if I had to just pick one, probably just because of all the study I've done, it would be Swedenborg, but I'd love to be able to pick more than one. How would you imagine Swedenborg today? You've read all his books and all his content. What would you imagine him to be or look like? You mean if, if he was living today? Yeah. I think that he would really like a lot of the stuff that we have going on. I mean, he was, he was pre first a scientist, you know, so before he um, became sort of a, whatever you want to call it, a revelator or a you know, cataloger of spiritual experiences. So I think he would have been very fascinated with the advances that we've made in, in anatomy and physiology. Um, and I think that he would have actually been able to make even more connections with his spiritual side of things. Because everything he wrote down on the spiritual side, he would try to connect it to the, the physical world and the sciences and say, look, you can see evidence of this spiritual principle here in this scientific thing. So I think he'd be fascinated by how deeply we've gotten into things and how he could connect. And I think he would be very interested in some of the, the new developments. We actually did a show a couple weeks ago called How the Spiritual World is Like the Internet because Swedenborg had all these experiences of doing what we would now call astral projection or um, out-of-body experiences where he got to experience this, this spiritual world. And he described sort of the physics of it and how it works. And it's actually a lot like the Internet in a lot of ways, um, which obviously there was nothing like that in Swedenborg's time. But he described how there's not space and time, that if you just think about someone, you can 
have communication with them. And here, I mean, you know, we're, we're obviously, you and I are very far apart in the world, but yet, you know, we want to get together, we can do it instantly. And even on the time scale, people listening to this podcast, it, they could be listening to it three months from now, but they're still hearing the conversation as it happened today. So in a, in a funny way, technology is kind of allowing some of these things that before were only seen to Swedenborg in the spiritual world to happen. So I bet you would get a kick out of the, the similarities now that are popping up in the world. If the listeners went to Amazon or, or any book publishing to look at Emanuel Swedenborg's books or papers, what should they start with or where should they go? I work for the Swedenborg Foundation, who is a nonprofit group that actually, in addition to making the videos and the kinds of things that I'm doing, they translate and publish Swedenborg's books. Um, and if you go to Swedenborg.com, actually a lot of his books, most of them are available as a free download. You know, if you can download the PDF or an ebook for completely free of charge, you know, the physical ones cost money, or you can find them on Amazon or something. But uh, on the Swedenborg Foundation YouTube channel, there's actually a video called Who Was Swedenborg? What Should I Read? Just because it's, and it's hard to figure out where to start because there's so much material. Um, I would recommend, I mean, a lot of people start, he wrote a book that's called Heaven and Hell. Um, and that was his most popular book, and this is the description of the afterlife. And he calls it heaven and hell. There's a lot of differences, though, between Swedenborg's view of the afterlife and what he means by those terms, and what you'll hear from sort of a traditional view of heaven and hell. It's, it's more complicated. It, it has to do with state of mind and, and these kinds of things. However, a lot of people start with that book because it's an interesting subject, life after death. And he actually wrote that book to try to get people interested in his other books. He had started writing this long series called Secrets of Heaven. And it was really technical and, and sort of hard to understand and not many people were buying it, but everyone had, word had started to, started to get out that he was having spiritual experiences and people wanted to know uh, what, what is the afterlife like? So he sort of wrote Heaven and Hell as this book to get people interested and then in it had little notes that are like, see my longer works here and here. So I would recommend, you know, Heaven and Hell is that. Uh, he wrote a book called Divine Love and Wisdom. It's a, the most philosophical book, meaning he uses like terms out of philosophy and thinks in those ways. It's sort of a description of the underlying essence of life and what, what makes reality. He has a book called Divine Providence, as we mentioned before, that the, there he's talking about sort of the divine governance of the world. What are sort of the laws? Admit, why do things happen? Why do bad things happen? These are all those questions he kind of goes at in that book. Any of those uh, could be an interesting, good place to start. Um, generally, getting into Swedenborg for the first time can be a little bit tough because it can be dense, and he uses a lot of terms in ways that you wouldn't expect. Like I, like I was just mentioning, he'll use the terms heaven and hell, but he means them in a different way than you're thinking. So if, if you're not aware of that, you could think he means something different. That's part of why we make our, our material to try to help explain it. We make the, the YouTube videos that I'm doing to help explain it get people in. But I would you'd say any of those books, if you give it a chance, you could get into some very interesting things there. And how do you um, modernize the 17th, 18th century writing to today's world? How do you do that? The first way that I modernize it is, I, as I was saying, I try to study it, understand it, live it, and see if it works. You know, he gives all kinds of advice on how to how, sort of write actions, write thinking. And if it doesn't work for me, I'm not going to be able to make it into something 
interesting to people because it, you know, it'll just be me trying to sell you something that I wouldn't want to buy. You know what I mean? Um, so what, the first thing I do is I try to understand it and I try to look for it in the world and look for it in my own life. And if I can see it there, then I have something that I feel like, oh, this, this can be modern. And the principles that he describes are, are relatively easily applied to modern science. For instance, on a recent episode of the show, I had a biologist on the show, and we were talking about this idea of what Swedenborg calls correspondences. And this was what I was mentioning before, that the things in the physical world have uh, sort of spiritual, they're representations of spiritual realities, or they, they're sort of symbolic of spiritual realities. And I was talking with this biologist about the correspondence or representation of diatoms. And diatoms are these microscopic organisms that live in almost all bodies of water. They make this little silica shell um, to protect themselves, and they're, they're sort of the base of the food chain in a lot of aquatic environments. Um, and we were talking about what those might correspond to. Now, in Swedenborg's day, diatoms weren't, stu they didn't have the right equipment to, to study or know that those existed, so obviously he didn't have anything to say about them in particular. But based on sort of the general principles that he gives, we could look at these diatoms and say, well, they form the basis of the food chain, they act in this way, you know, they take energy from the sun, and we can kind of make inferences there about what would they correspond to, even though we don't have Swedenborg's direct input. So in that way, you can apply his principles to kind of the modern thing. And then as far as his uh, sort of ethics or behavioral principles, that's pretty easy to take his material. And he's, he's get laying out a system for how human beings should treat each other. And that the underlying principles of something like that don't change too much with time. You know, that, that what was a thousand years ago, what was kind and honest still is now. So that, that just takes kind of a, a wording upgrade. And we also have, I mean, there's a, there's a really great team of translators working on what's called the New Century Edition of Swedenborg's works, and they're with the, the Swedenborg Foundation. Uh, and they're, they're taking, doing their best effort to translate it into to modern English. And they provide footnotes that sort of, so if something sounds strange, you can look, and at the end of the book, there'll be something that says, well, this is this, and this is the background for that, to kind of explain it further. So there's a couple of things that go into it. Um, really, it all comes down to, though, yeah, does it work in, in my life currently? And if so, then then it can be expressed in the, in the current terms of the day. It sounds like Swedenborg was ahead of his time in science. It seems like it to me. Uh, there's a couple things that he seemed to preempt modern science on, but also the, the kind of spiritual principles that he put out. I mean, at the time, he was in Europe in, in the mid-1700s. It was very Christian. Um, he was saying people of any religion can go to heaven, you know, which now is sort of a, a, a thing many people would say if they believe in a heaven or an afterlife, it's kind of a, a popular thing to think, oh yeah, you know, anybody, you don't have to be a particular religion to do well. But back in his time, people weren't saying that. So, and a lot of the things, even in, in like his philosophical things uh, about the underlying sort of reality and new discoveries in, in physics and all that are starting to line up. So it seems like, yeah, that a lot of the things that he wrote back then are now kind of mainstream. So I would say he, he seems like he was ahead of his time. And what is your role in the Swedenborg Foundation? My title is Digital Media Producer. We have a YouTube channel that I, I mentioned, youtube.com slash off the left eye, where I'm in charge of content 
I write some things and, and help, I work with a team. Uh, we have a great team of people, Matt and Stuart, among others, who we work together to get this show that we do on a weekly basis. We've also done a series of short videos. We have a big old Facebook community that's called Heaven and Hell, sort of based on the title of his book. And, and I oversee that, and then a lot of good people are working on that as well. And so I'm sort of in charge of the, an online division of the Swedenborg Foundation. And then there are other parts of the foundation that, that are doing the translating and publishing that are running Swedenborg.com and, and publishing other books. So I, I'm just playing a small part in, in the overall organization. And what's the name of your show? It's called Swedenborg and Life. And it's on every Monday night at 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. We do it live. We have it as a live broadcast so people can tune in and ask. We have a live question and answer every week so people can tune in and ask questions or just have commentary on the topic. But then after that, after it taped, uh, YouTube just records it so anybody can go right now and watch all of our previous episodes or watch a show after it's already aired. But we do it live on, on Monday nights. If you could describe or provide one fascinating or interesting piece of information from your experiences in reading a lot of Amanda Swedenborg's information, what would it be? I would say the, the most interesting thing is figuring out what's really helping you and what's really harming you. Uh, and it's a complex thing. I'll try to give a little summary of it now. But throughout life, we're trying to navigate our internal world. We're trying to figure out our thoughts and feelings um, and what's, we're trying to be happy, I mean, essentially. And what I've learned out of Swedenborg is that a good path happiness there's a, a couple of important elements in it one is thinking about what you can do to help meaning Swedenborg calls it use or usefulness that if you focus on like if I'm doing my work at the Swedenborg Foundation that I can be focused on that in a negative or in a positive way if I'm doing this show and I'm just thinking oh, I want to look really cool and have a show that a lot of people watch and then people watch the show and really like me. That's, that's taking the thing and making it self-serving, which actually isn't helping me and isn't going to raise me into happiness. Because you find if you're sort of trapped in that ego way of looking at it, as soon as the show has a bad episode or someone says something negative about it, then I'm all upset, you know? But if I focus on the goal or the purpose of the show, thinking about people getting material from there that make them happy. And if I have that in my mind, that when I'm doing it, then I sort of align myself with this deeper happiness. And that's actually the path. And the less self-concerned I am, the more this kind of happiness can, can flow in. So I think that's an important thing to think about. And this sort of applies across life. And, and that humility, those kinds of things are actually path to happiness, even though it doesn't always seem like it. Swedenborg kind of is a compass that lets you know in the long run, this is how you can try to get to where we're all trying to get to go. Amazing. Thank you, Curtis, for coming onto the show and sharing your, your story, experiences and knowledge. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out sandseat.com. That's S-A-N-C-I-T dot com. Join Sanseat Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on. <laughs>